0: well it is so good to be with you all if I haven't met you yet my name is Nate and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, just a joy to get to share with you today and if you're watching online right now uh, we want to welcome you as well can we welcome those that are joining (laughs) online uh, share this service live because you never know how God could use it to impact somebody and something we say every single week around here if you're new with us is this that we believe that no one is too far from God to experience a life change for Jesus and that the church should be a hospital for sinners not a museum for saints so no matter where you're at spiritually I thank you for coming today and my prayer is this that as we were singing about that the Lord is in this place or even if you're watching online right now, the Lord is with you, that you would actually encounter him in a real way that would change your life for the better as we get to open up from his word and to hear what he has to say to every single one of us today. Now, if I say certain names in the Bible, we're going to do a little Bible trivia here. If I say certain names in the Bible, right away something comes to mind, right? Like if I were to say Judas, what comes to mind? Traitor. Traitor, yeah, somebody said it over here. If I said David, what would come to mind? Goliath, right? Certain characters in the Bible get known for certain things, and most of the time, those are like really positive, incredible things that they've done. Uh, the character that we're going to be looking at today uh, kind of has it hard, and I, I feel bad for him a little bit. So if I were to say the name Zacchaeus, what comes to mind? Little man. We little men, that's right. So we're going to be looking at Zacchaeus. So if you have your Bible with me, power that on or grab one in the seat back in front of you and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus today from Luke chapter 19 and starting in verse 1. And it says this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Here's where the wee little man comes in. And by the way, isn't it so uh, just awful that we've even made a song about it and we're teaching like kids to sing that he's a wee little man? Anyways, that's besides the point. Verse 4, so he ran and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for for Jesus was about to pass that way. And what I love is that it says that Zacchaeus, despite his stature. He was small in stature. Uh, he was actually a chief tax collector. So joke's on them. He might be the shortest one there, but he's actually sitting at the top of the food chain, and I can't help but imagine every single time they sang that song, he was like, great, I'm going to raise the taxes on all of y'all right here in this place, right? Like, okay, I'm maybe being a little creative with the story here, but what we do know about him that he was a chief tax collector, so it means that he was, he was wealthy that you had tax collectors and then Zacchaeus was kind of at the top of that, right? And he was short, he's seeking to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus, even though he's known for being a wee little man, which is what many of us said when I just asked you what comes to mind, what we'll see in his story is this, that Zacchaeus might be a wee little man, but he was a giant in the faith. Zacchaeus might've been a wee little man, but he was a giant in the faith. And he is one of my absolute favorite, favorite characters in the Bible because he's somebody that models pursuing after Jesus, making room for God, doing whatever it takes, removing the obstacles in the way, climbing up a tree, whatever it takes to see Jesus. And we're going to be looking at Zacchaeus as a great example, who is a contrast to what we looked at last week with the rich ruler that we talked about. Zacchaeus is an example of somebody who made room in his life for God with joy, and he gets to experience abundant joy as a result of that. So if you're taking notes this morning, simply the main idea is this, that making room for God, leads to abundant joy in my life making room for God leads to abundant joy in my life meaning that when you make room for God it leads to more God in your life and the more God you have in your life the more joy you're going to have in your life that one of the evidences of more of God in our lives the way that it's reflected in us is the abundant joy that you and I get to experience that we get to reflect that overflows out of our lives for other people around us and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I don't know about you, but I, I often find that it's it's so easy in life that sometimes just go through life and different things happen. And because of maybe where we're at in our relationship with God, that we can begin to lack the joy in our lives. And when there's a lack of joy, oftentimes there's a symptoms to us that maybe something is off about our relationship with God. That maybe there's, there's a call or an invitation in that, in our lack of joy to lean into our relationship with him. Maybe there's some distance that we've allowed to creep into the relationship. Maybe there's some other things, some other distraction or priorities that we've placed in front of God. And when we do those things, when we place anything else ahead of God in our lives, what you'll find oftentimes happening is your joy begins to diminish more and more and more. But the more you make room for God and the more of him you have in your life, the more the joy also in your life begins to well up from within and begins to overflow from your life. So making room for God leads to abundant joy in my life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Will you pray with me? Father, we just pause right now and... It's been such a, just a great morning. And I know even the, the busyness in here, it's a packed room and everybody's come out today to just worship you, to hear from your word and all these things going on. God, we just want to focus our minds and our hearts right now on you and you alone, not on the plans that we have uh, later today or not on what happened earlier, but God, just right now in this moment, as we sang about that, you are in this place and we just want to encounter you. So I just pray that you would speak to us will you meet us here again god would you allow me to just step out of the way Uh, speak to me first and god anything that is not from you would you just remove that from me right now that i would just speak your words clearly in such a a clear and compelling way that would challenge all of us to make more room for you and to experience the joy that you desire for us to have we pray all these things in jesus name and all god's people said amen Amen. Amen. Uh, I think back to years ago when me and Shana first started dating. So we met in college at Taylor University, just right up the road here, first weekend in college, and just, you know, right away there was like some sort of just interest there, right? And so that led to like months of pursuing her and just going out of my way to do everything to like spend more time with her, texting, calling, spending a lot of time together. And then earlier on as well, like probably in that first year or whatever it was of our relationship that, man, I was like over the top pursuing, right? Um, Getting flowers all the time writing little handwritten cards and like sticking that on her windshield in her car and like all these different ways that I was just pursuing. And she was an athlete. So when basketball season rolled around, she'd be gone for away games. If I didn't get to go with her, I would stay back. If it snowed, I would go to the parking lot at the gym, scrape off her car for her to make sure that it's warm and ready for her when she gets back. Like all these things that I was doing earlier on in the relationship to pursue, to pursue. And there is so much joy that came from that just simply from pursuing because here's somebody that I was interested in, that I liked, that I loved, that I wanted to pursue a relationship with. And I don't know about you guys, but it's so easy. Sometimes I think in our relationship with God that over time, maybe we start out in those moments when we're new to our faith and maybe God has done something incredible for us to really pursue God in those seasons. But then over time to maybe begin to grow apathetic in our pursuit of God, Uh, Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. After a few years, isn't it easy to maybe stop doing some of those things that we did earlier on? Like I was preparing for this message and thinking about it, and I was just convicted. I was like, I don't even remember the last time it was that I actually got my wife flowers. So that's going to be my assignment for this week, is to figure out some time to maybe get her some flowers and do something to continue to pursue her. But it's so easy, and the same thing can happen in our relationship with God, is that over time, we can maybe stop pursuing God With the same amount of devotion and the same amount of joy that we did early on in our relationship with him. Uh, Making room for God results in abundant joy in our lives. And one of the ways that that joy is manifested is by experiencing joy in pursuing Jesus. When you make room for him, you experience more of him in your life, there's more joy. And one of the outcomes of that joy is that there's now a a renewed joy that comes in pursuing Jesus. Take a look at what happens in verse 4. It says this that, Zacchaeus ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree just to see Jesus. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at at your house today. So he came down and received Jesus joyfully. See, there was a joy that Zacchaeus had and a devotion and a commitment to pursue after Jesus. And man, when Jesus sees him, it says that he joyfully received Jesus. But it grew out of the pursuit that he had to do whatever it took to follow after Jesus. And there's a crowd in the way. I don't care. I'm going to climb up in a tree. I'm short. I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes just to see Jesus. And I think sometimes in our lives, as the years go by or the seasons go by, and depending on where we're at in our walk with God, that we can begin to just maybe grow apathetic about pursuing him and so we can begin to say things like this earlier on in our relationship with him we're devoted we're praying all the time we're worshiping all the time showing up to church showing up to sh- serve and all these things and over time we can begin to say things like well it's a little cold today so I'm just gonna you know hang out at home today uh, well I'm just too tired right now so I'm not I'm probably not gonna read my bible I, I, I can just wait till tomorrow and you can look back on some of those seasons earlier on in your walk with the Lord when he was just doing some things in your life and speaking to you and changing your life that, man, there was just a, a fervor. There was just a hunger that we had for him. This pursuit that we had off him and in the same way that we can stop pursuing our spouses or in our marriages, maybe we can stop dating our spouses. I think the same thing is true in our relationship with God that we can begin to just lose sight of those things and not pursue those things and over time i've noticed my own tendency in my life just to become maybe lazy or apathetic in my pursuit of jesus or to begin to maybe even pursue other things over him like to pursue ministry and to pursue success and all these other things ahead of Jesus, actually, and keeping him the main focus that I'm pursuing wholeheartedly with joy. And Zacchaeus is so convicting to me and is so encouraging to me because he just models that, man, no matter what it takes, he's going to pursue Jesus and he's going to do it with joy. And so how can you start pursuing Jesus in that way today? That some of us, maybe in here, you've been walking with him for so long. And in some ways, maybe you've forgotten that first love that you had today is just an invitation to say hey can you can you go back to your first love and in the same way that you can continue to grow in your marriage and grow your relationships that the same thing is true with God that no matter what you've done for the last year the last six months that you can begin today pursuing him and making more room for him in your life and as you do that you'll find that it will actually result in more joy to pursue him even more ahead of other things maybe that we can begin to place in our lives and Look at what happens next in the story. So Jesus sees him, invites him down, goes into his house to hang out with Zacchaeus. As he's hanging out with Zacchaeus, look at the response of the crowd. And he says, when they saw this, they all began to grumble. They began saying, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So the same crowd that was in the way that was like keeping him from seeing Jesus, Jesus sees him now, goes into his house. And now the same crowd, maybe some of the religious people in the day there, begin to judge what's happening, begin to grumble. They are unhappy because Jesus is hanging out with Zacchaeus, who they deem to be a sinner because he's a tax collector. And they were just not famous people or they didn't have a great reputation back in that day. They begin to grumble. And I realize this, that sometimes as Christians, we can begin to act like the crowd, That maybe because of some of the judgment in our lives and how we deem other people and we begin to maybe respond in not the most godly way or the most Christ-like way when we see God actually pursuing people that are far away from him. Like maybe that person that you don't like shows up to church. And if you're being honest with me, there's something within your heart that is like, man, like I'm, I'm glad they're here, but man, I really just can't stand that person, right? That oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can begin to act like the crowd that we read about here here in the story. And sometimes I found this too, that we, as Christians, through our actions, through our behavior, can become the obstacles that get in the way of people actually seeing Jesus. I didn't mean to say this, and I said this earlier service, but I hear stories all the time of people that work, maybe in the service industry, that happen to be working the lunch shift on Sunday, And some of the treatments that they get from people that have just walked out of a church service become such a huge obstacle to them, ever wanting to have anything to do with Jesus. Because of our rude or unkind behavior, whatever it is, and they get a taste of it. They're like, if that's your Jesus and what he's done for you, then I want no part of it. We sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, can become the obstacle that can actually keep people from seeing Jesus. So can I maybe just challenge all of us and encourage one of us to make sure that we are making room for God in our lives to become more and more like him so that as people interact with us, that what they would see overflowing out of our lives is joy and is Jesus and nothing else than that. Because his heart is for those people and his heart is to reach those people. And sometimes some of the ways that we put... Also obstacles in the way for people to see Jesus, that we create unnecessary requirements or conditions of what it means to be a Christian. That you're going to be in this church and you're going to see other people around here that look nothing like you, that vote nothing like you, that don't talk like you, that don't act like you. And you know what? That's okay. That the only requirement to be a part of this church family, to be a believer, is to have a relationship with Jesus, period. And sometimes we add all these other extra conditions that were never in Scripture, but we add those things on and those things actually keep people that might maybe have a messy life. And their mess that they want to try to bring to Jesus and we're telling them, no, 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 clean yourself up first before you come to Christ. And listen, our job is not to clean people's actions or to clean their act up. Our job is to get them to Jesus and let him transform their lives. So I was hanging out with my mentor a couple weeks ago, and he's the pastor that I served under when I was going through college. And he shared the story with me at the church that he and I served at. He's retired now, but he said when he first came to that church 20 years ago, there was a family that somebody had invited, a big family, blended family, big family, had invited them to come to church. And the dad in that family was actually balding. So I can relate to that. It's a personal story for me. Uh, But the dad in the family was balding, and so when he showed up to church, he wore a hat that Sunday. Right after the service, a couple of the members of the church, like, cornered him in the lobby and began to lecture him about why it was not okay for him to come to church and to wear a hat and all these things. And when my mentor heard about that, it broke his heart. And so he told the family that invited them, he said, you tell them to come back to this church, and if they come back, I'm going to wear a hat throughout the whole service with them. So a few months go by, and surely enough, the family decided to come back because they had left and said, we want nothing to do with this church. But they took him up on the challenge, and so they decided to come back. So right before service, somebody uh, comes and finds my mentor and say, hey, that family, remember that family with the hat? Yeah, they're on their way to church right now, and so are you going to hold up like your promise you made to them or not? And so he had to call his wife and say, Hey, can you grab me a hat and run it over to the church real quick? And so she grabbed the hat, show up to the church. She showed up to the church with it. He looks at the hat, goes, I can't wear that hat. See, what had happened was through his wife's work, they traveled down to New Orleans and they had gone to a convention down there. He got a free hat that said Bourbon Street, New Orleans on it. And that was the hat that she grabbed and that she brought to the church. And so surely enough, he ended up wearing this hat, Bourbon Street, New Orleans on it. And preached the entire message with the hat on, did the entire service with the hat on. After the service, that family came up to him and said, man, that took some guts to do what you just did. And he said, listen, I wore this hat to show you that you belong here, that God loves you, and you are welcome here. And he said this, I I don't know you guys, so would it be okay if I just maybe set up a time to come and meet with your family to get to know you guys? They invited him over the following day. That Monday evening, he went to their house, sat down with them, got to hear their story. He got to share the gospel with them. The husband gave his life to Christ. The wife gave, his life, gave her life to Christ. One after another, their kids all began to give, give their lives to Christ. They all got baptized in the church. And then unfortunately, a few years after that, that husband, the dad in the family actually ended up passing away. And my mentor sat down with his board and he just shared that story with them to show them this, that we need to be as a church family. The kind of place that removes every single obstacle that could get in the way of people coming to actually see Jesus. That's why we say this every single week around here, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The only condition for being a part of the family of God is to admit that you are a sinner and every single one of us in this room is a sinner in need of a savior. So may we never forget that. May we never become the kind of church that begins to add more obstacles in the way as people are coming to just see Jesus. Can we remove every single obstacle and let them know that they are welcome here? And can we be actually crowd movers that would go ahead of the people? And as the crowd and different things in this world are getting in the way, that we can begin to clear the path for them to just see Jesus so clearly. That's the kind of church that he's calling us to be in. I pray that we can become... The kind of people, the kind of church that sees every single opportunity, every single conversation, every single interaction as an opportunity to show people the real Jesus. So that they would come to faith in him. And I pray that we would continue to pursue Jesus with joy and we would come alongside other people as well that are trying to pursue after him and say, way to go and cheer them on and encourage them to continue to follow after Jesus with joy. That's what making room for God in our lives produces. It produces joy in following Jesus. Number two, it produces joy in obeying Jesus. Take a look at verse eight. It says, and Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods, I give it to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So they have this moment where they're hanging out in his house with Jesus. He's talking with Jesus and man, Zacchaeus stands up. He's like, I have an announcement to make. Uh, here's half of everything that I own I'm gonna sell it all give it all away to the poor and by the way if I've wronged anybody defrauded anybody of anything as a tax collector I'm gonna repay them four times over that man there's just this overwhelming joy that Zacchaeus has from encountering the real Jesus by making room in his life for Jesus that it just overflows in this joy to obey Jesus And what's so powerful about that and why Zacchaeus is one of my absolute favorite stories and characters in the Bible is that Jesus didn't even ask him to do those things. And he just got up out of the overflowing joy that he had. And he's just responding in this obedience to Jesus. And I think a lot of times, maybe when we're immature or newer to our faith, or maybe you have no faith at all, that we can view obedience like this. Ah, this burden, ah, I gotta, I gotta obey Jesus. Oh man, I I just, I don't want to, but I really have to. And I gotta just go do it. And we begin to treat obeying Jesus like it's this duty that we have rather than a delight that we have that really should overflow out of a place of joy in our lives to please him. And to realize this, that when we obey him, by the way, it pleases God. He uses us to have an impact and obeying Jesus, obeying God is actually good for us. Do we have any runners in the room, by show of hands? Any runners in the room? Come on, yeah, come on, be proud. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so I'm, I'm not a runner at all, and I can remember where I was at when I found out that some people actually re- uh, enjoy running, and I was like, No. That can't be a real thing, but runners will tell you, man, all the benefits that come with it. And when you're out there running, that there's like this runner's high that you get that comes with that. And I've just never experienced that before. Like all the times in my life when I've ran have been because somebody was forcing me to do it, like a coach or a trainer or something like that. Or I was running late somewhere, and so I like had to do it. And I think sometimes many of us can treat obeying God like the same attitude that I have towards running. Like, it's this necessary evil or obligation that I have to, like, I have to obey. And we forget to realize that obeying God actually should be a delight in our lives and not a duty that we have. And Zacchaeus is just such a great model of that. That's why I just love him so much and his story. And Zacchaeus just models models this joyful obedience of Jesus. And you contrast him, on the other hand, with the guy that we talked about last week, the rich ruler. And his story in Luke 18, Jesus was talking to him and Jesus said this to him. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But it says this, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Here you've got two rich people, two rich guys. One of them, Jesus encounters them and comes and asks Jesus a question. and Jesus tells him, go sell everything that you have. You'll, you'll discover this incredible treasure. That you will have in heaven, come and follow me and experience a real life with me. And he says, I don't want any part of it because he loves his riches more than he does Christ. And on the other hand, you've got Zacchaeus who Jesus doesn't even ask him. And out of the overflow of the joy that he has, he just decides to follow and to obey Jesus. And you find that his life is actually filled with more joy because of the obedience that he has. And if you're taking notes this morning... You might want to write this down. Obeying Jesus is the path to true joy in life. Obeying Jesus is the path to true joy in life. That many people are pursuing happiness and sometimes the answer is to go find it and all the money, pleasure, sex, whatever it is that they can pursue and find joy and happiness is, but realize this, that obeying Jesus is actually the path to true joy in life. So there's a theologian by the name of Kid Cudi, uh, who has a song that is called The Pursuit of Happiness. And I remember when that song came out, you know, uh, probably 12, 14 years ago. And listening to that song, and you're young at the time, it's like, oh, you know, it's a catchy song, whatever it is. And then the older I get, like, you listen to it now, and you really, like, are dissecting and analyzing what he's saying. And for him, when he talks about this pursuit of happiness, uh, which is really wrestling with this, this whole issue. And that's why this song just really is so intriguing because in that song, Kid Cudi is wrestling with somebody who finds their life being empty. There's kind of a void there. And so they want to pursue this happiness and look at how they choose to pursue it. The lyrics go something like this. Crush a bit, a little bit, roll it up, take a hit, 2 a.m., summer night, I don't care, I'm doing my thing, whatever it is, I'm going to do whatever I want. And you hear all those things and it sounds great, but then... As the song goes on, it shifts, the tone in the song shifts a little bit. And he says, 5 a.m., cold sweats, waking up to the sky. Now he describes somebody who's pursuing after all these things to try to fill a void in their lives, to find true joy, maybe meaning and satisfaction in that. And they just end up finding themselves, 5 a.m., laying in bed, cold sweats, feeling empty again. And I think that's the lie that culture is trying to sell us sometimes at The path to to true joy and the path to to happiness in your life is to go do whatever you want, pursue everything that you want, just fill your life with all these things that in the end end up leaving us 5 a.m., lying in our bed, cold sweats, and still feeling empty. Not realizing this, that the, the pursuit of happiness is really the pursuit of holiness in our lives. The more you obey Jesus, the more joy that produces in my life and in your life and the longer I live, the more I just realize that, man, there's so much joy that comes from obeying Jesus because it pleases him, but also it is good for me. That my, my, my obedience, my submitting myself to, to his commands and his law and what he's instructed and called me to be, that it makes me a better husband. It makes me a better dad. It makes me a better person. My life is better because of obeying Jesus and that there's actually joy that comes from that. And that's why I love so much what David writes in Psalm 1. He says this, Blessed in the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And look at what it produces. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. David is describing just this life that is flourishing and thriving, and all of that he says is a result of the life of somebody who delights in the law of the Lord, who finds joy and delight in obeying Jesus. Not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of joy does those things. And so maybe if you're in here and maybe there's just a part of your life or maybe your priorities have gotten out of order or whatever it is, and you find that obeying Jesus becomes like this obligation in your life. And can I just encourage and challenge you maybe today to make more room for him, to surrender more to him, to spend more time with God so that you can have more of him in your life and that you'll see the result is a joy that you will rediscover in obeying him and living for him. Obeying Jesus produces joy in my life and all those things that we talked about, the joy in pursuing him, the joy in obeying him, all grow out of this. They all grow out of the joy of being saved by Jesus. Everything we talked about, your entire walk, everything we do for all those things, all at the core of it, the foundation of it is the joy that you discover when you realize what God has actually done for you, that he saved you. And I remember. Um, When I was serving on staff back in Illinois with my dad and we used to lead a lot of like our first step classes together and we would teach those together. And he would always share his testimony of coming to faith in Jesus as a teenager in high school. And he would always talk about how far away from God he was. And he just would say this phrase that has stuck with me all these years. Say, Jesus saved me and I just never got over the gospel. I just never got over the gospel. And that phrase has just stuck with me all these years, that he's just never gotten over the gospel. That decades later now, as he's serving God, as he's doing all these things in his life, it just all goes back to him being a teenager, really realizing how good the good news of the gospel is, and realizing this, that Jesus saved him, and that results in joy, that results in devotion, to follow after Jesus, and he just never got over the gospel. And I pray this, that we would be the kind of church that would never get over the gospel. That no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, that we would never forget what he's actually done for us. That he stepped into our mess and he saved us and redeemed us and transformed our lives. And that is the foundation for everything that we do. We pursue after him. We obey him. We serve him. We give willingly and generously all because of what he did did for us, that he saved us. And I just pray that we would never, ever get over the gospel. How good it really is. And, I think some of us maybe today need to be reminded of that. Be reminded of the gospel and what God actually did for us. Because I think we can sometimes forget that as well. As we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And I just pray that you would never, ever get over the gospel. How good it is. And in verse 9, Jesus says this then to Zacchaeus. "Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. And then I love this, which is really at the heart of the gospel of Luke, this verse right here. Luke 19 says, uh, 10 says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, that is every single one of us in this room. That at one time we were far away from God. We were so lost in our sin and our trespasses. And man, God in his mercy pursued after us, redeemed us. He saved us, called us into this relationship with himself. And I pray that we would just never get over that, how good that is, that we could never deserve or earn our way to God, but God made a way in Jesus. And I was reading this last week from Luke 10, uh, this uh, story in the gospel of Luke where Jesus calls 72 disciples and he sends them out, empowers them to go do ministry in all these different cities to prepare the way for him and the rest of the disciples to come. And they come back and here's what they say to him. uh, And Luke 10 Verse 17, it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. But verse 20, listen to this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Listen, Jesus wasn't calling them down, wasn't discouraging them. He was calling them up to something greater that, hey, listen, you're going out there. You're serving me. All these demons you're casting out. Miracles are happening all in my name. And all those things are great. You should be excited about that. But never forget the fact that your names are written in heaven. And I think some of us sometimes forget that because of everything else that we have in our lives, we can forget this, that your name and my name are written in heaven because of what God has done for us. And that nothing will ever trump that, nothing will ever surpass God's saving work in our lives. And nothing is greater, Jesus says, than your name being written in heaven. That we have a hope, we have a future, and eternity to spend with him forever. And I remember when I was 16, and I've shared my story with you guys before, when I began reading the Bible for the first time, for myself, actually, to discover, and I read, you know, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, Ephesians 2 8, and discovered the power of grace for the first time ever. Realized really my brokenness and my sinfulness, but realized also God's amazing love and how good His grace really is and how powerful His mercy is in my life. And man, it changed my life forever. That it was simply the gospel that sparked this revival in my heart that sparked this devotion to God, that sparked this pursuit in my life to obey God and to seek his will for my life, to follow him, to do whatever he calls me to do, all because I discovered how great the joy of being saved by Jesus really is. And when you realize what God has done for you, what he saved you from, how can you help but not have joy? And here's what the Bible tells us that he's actually done for us, in case you've forgotten, it says this in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that we've missed the mark. That's what sin is. That the standard for having a relationship with him is to be holy as he is holy. And he created us in his image without sin. And yet we chose to rebel against him, to turn our backs on him, and to give into to sin. And here's what Romans 6.23 says. It says, it's for the wages of sin is death. That the death that Jesus died was the death that you and I deserved. Yet he went to a cross in our place and he bore that suffering and the the torture of the cross all because of his amazing love for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life is eternal life. In his son Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life Romans 5 8 but God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Ephesians 2 8 for by grace you've been saved and this is not your own doing it's the gift of God not as a result of war so that no one may boast that's what he's done for us. That over and over again, he's talking about his grace, how good it is for us that we are undeserving sinners, yet we get to sit at the table all because of Jesus, all because of the cross, all because of his love for us. May we never get over the gospel and God's pursuit of us. And Jesus says, today's salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. That when God created us in the garden, we rebelled our backs, uh, we turned our backs on him, rebelled against him. That God pursued and called a man by the name of Abraham, who didn't have a child at the time. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a great nation out of you make you into a great nation to use you to be a blessing to the entire rest of the world that people might come to know me through you and that same Abraham ended up becoming a great nation when that great nation found themselves in slavery in Egypt God would call up a man by the name of Moses send him to go rescue God's people out of slavery He would pass the baton to a man by the name of Joshua who would go and take possession of the promised land that God had promised them to establish them as a nation to be able to be a light to the entire world. One of the cities that they come across when they're trying to take possession of what God is doing in their life is a city by the name of Jericho. The same city of Jericho that God's people would get established in that someday God would send through his people his son Jesus so that a man by the name of Zacchaeus on the same streets of that city named Jericho would see Jesus and come to faith in Jesus listen we serve a God who's been pursuing us he's been pursuing you from the beginning of time and listen no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus no matter where you're at no matter what you've done no matter what is in your life right now I'm not even talking about your past I'm talking about no matter what is in your life right now no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus and that we serve a God who loves us so much whose love is so amazing in our lives Who has saved us. And I pray that we would never get over how good the gospel really is. Would you pray with me? Father, there are some in this room right now that as we're talking about this and they might maybe be feeling right now that, man, they've just forgotten the gospel, how good it is. And God, I'm in that same boat that A lot of times in my life, I can begin to become so distracted by everything else and can forget how good it is that, God, you saved me. And God, that's going to be far greater than anything else. And as we're talking about making room for you, that one of the effects of that is just the overflowing, the abundant joy that we can have in our lives. And God, I pray that you just allow us to rediscover that joy today as we make room for you as we willingly pursue you, as we joyfully obey you, as we joyfully just look back on what you've done for us and celebrate that, God, would we just be overflowing with abundant joy today? And then God, there are some in this room right now that don't even have a relationship with you. And as we've talked about what you've done for us, maybe today is that day where they get to discover how much you love them, how much you've been pursuing them from the beginning of time, that they would discover a relationship with you today. And if that's you in the room and You've never discovered a relationship with Jesus before. You've never surrendered your life to him. I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. And you can just pray right where you're seated. Something like this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I recognize my need for you. God, I thank you for stepping in through Jesus and demonstrating your love for me. By sending him to a cross that he died the death that I deserved and God, that you now offer this new life, this salvation in him as a free gift and God, I received that free gift today and I pray that God, you would make me new. Would you transform my life? God, anything in my life that is not of you, I surrender to you today and I make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life and God, I ask that you would help me to live for you from this day forward. And if you prayed that prayer, I just want to encourage you right now to do just a simple act to show just the commitment that you've made to follow Jesus right now, maybe for the first time ever, or even if you rededicated your life, recommitted your life, I just want to ask you to do the simple act right now to show the commitment that you've made just by raising your hand right now. Raise it high so that I can see it in the room. Yes, in the front here. Anybody else made a commitment to follow Jesus? Yes, I see you guys in the back. Anybody else in here? Just raise your hand so I can see it. You are boldly declaring in this moment your commitment to follow Jesus. Anybody else in here? Yes, over here in the back. I see you can put your hand down. Anybody else in here? He loves you that much. Yes, I see you in the back with the hat. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? And let me pray over you right now. Father, I just want to pray for those that raised their hand in here. Wow, how incredible. God, your love that still pursues us and Father, for those that just discovered that love for the first time ever today, I just pray that, God, you just take up residence in their life. As your word says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I just pray that that would be true over them today. Would you transform them? Anything in their life that is not of you, God, would you remove that? Would you help them to just fully experience the life that you have for them? Would you continue to help them to continue to make room boldly for you in their life? from this day forward. We thank you so much for saving us. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your family that we now get a seat at the table because of what Jesus has done for us. And God, we are just so grateful. And we praise you and we say thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.